the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome back. Tuesday, February 9th, 2021. Scott Johnson writes, Former President Trump left office in due course, yet the Senate is taking up his second impeachment trial today. The first item on the trial schedule is debate over the constitutionality of trial of a former president. Byron York reviewed the issue of constitutional uh, impeachment at this stage without a sitting president as follows. Nearly all Republican senators believe it is unconstitutional to try an ex-president. All Democrats disagree. Democrats point to a majority of law professors who agree with them. No surprise there. While some conservative scholars and jurists support the Republican position that a Senate trial is not permitted by the Constitution, the conservatives are right. Here are five reasons. One, president means president. Article 2, Section 4 of the Constitution says, quote, The president, vice president, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors, close quote. By president, the framers meant the president of the United States. There's only one of them at a time, and now that is not Donald Trump. In addition, Article 2, the article creating the executive branch, uses the word president more than a dozen times. And in each of those usages, it refers to the person currently serving as president. It is difficult to believe that the framers intended the word president to refer to the current president in every reference to the office in Article 2, except in Section 4, when by president they meant, but did not say, president and former president. Two, impeachment is for removal. It's clear from a reading of the Constitution that the founders included impeachment as a mechanism to remove a top official from office for specific instances of misconduct. Just look at both the Federalist Papers and the records of the 1787 Constitutional Convention. To the degree that they discussed impeachment, it was as a way to remove an official from office. They never discussed impeachment as a way to punish a former official. Democrats point to the passage in the Constitution that says the penalty for impeachment, quote, shall not extend further than to remove from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the United States, close quote. That they see, that, that they say, means while removal is irrelevant in Trump's case, the Senate can still, by finding Trump guilty, bar him from ever being, hold, being able to hold federal office again. But the fact is there's no reason in the text of the Constitution to believe that the founders intended the Senate to try an ex-president for the purpose of barring him from future office. Three, there's no precedent for this. Some Democrats have pointed to the case of a cabinet secretary who was impeached after resigning in 1869 as precedent for a trial of a former president. First of all, it's a pretty weak precedent. The cabinet officer was acquitted because a number of senators has concerns about trying a former official. And second, there is this basic fact. This has never been done before with a former president of the United States. Not once, not ever. Never. 
Democrats cannot point to a presidential precedent because there isn't one. On the other hand, there is the precedent of Richard Nixon, who resigned as the House prepared to impeach him. Nixon resigna- Nixon's resignation closed the book on impeachment. Congress then dropped its efforts to impeachment. The great post-presidential controversy involving Nixon was President Ford's pardon, but that simply supported the fact that the Constitution allows criminal prosecution as a president from leaving office, which is why Ford felt it necessary to pardon Nixon. The possibility of prosecution, of course, would apply to Trump, too. Let's make it clear. Once Nixon left office, resignation was dropped. President Ford's commutation and pardon of Richard Nixon was for criminal investigations down the line, not impeachment. Four, it wasn't discussed when the Constitution was written. As mentioned above, both the authors of the Federalist Papers and the delegates to the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia discussed impeachment as a means of removing officials by mis- or for misconduct, but they never, never discussed the issue of impeaching and trying a former official. As John Yu wrote, quote, Neither the debates of the 1787 Philadelphia Convention nor the records of the 1787-1788 ratifying conventions contain any discussion of whether impeachment could apply to ex-officials, close quote, because it didn't. Finally, the framers rejected all this. Democrats will point to some pre-constitution state constitutions, which allowed for impeachment of former officials as proof that the framers intended impeachment to apply to those ex-officials. And it is true that a few early state constitutions specifically provided for the impeachment of former officials. The constitutions of Pennsylvania, Virginia, Delaware, and Vermont, Vermont, all passed prior to 1778, all provided for an after-office impeachment. The problem is, a decade later, in 1787, the framers did not use those provisions for their constitution. Scott Johnson will then add, after the arguments, the Senate will then vote on whether it has jurisdiction to try a former president. The threshold to pass is a simple majority of 51 votes. The number of Republican senators who vote that the trial is unconstitutional will presage Trump's acquittal at the end of this travesty of a mockery of a sham of a mockery of two mockeries of a sham, to borrow the formulation of Fielding Mellish in Woody Allen's movie Bananas. My favorite among the seven House impeachment managers is Representative Eric Swalwell. Swalwell is a member of the House Intelligence Committee who formerly made it with the Chinese spy Fang Fang. Swalwell perfectly represents the farcical nature of these proceedings. Those of us who remember Trump's first impeachment trial are left to wonder, where have you gone, Jerry Nadler? Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you. Where have you gone, Adam Schiff? We'd like to know a little bit about you for our files. Schiff, you may recall, is the man who pioneered the Twilight Zone between direct and circumstantial evidence and retelling the Russia hoax while President Trump was in office. Where have you gone, Chief Justice John Roberts? The Constitution provides that you are to preside over the Senate trial of the president. Oh, yeah, Trump isn't the president. Where have you gone, Senator Patrick Leahy? What are you doing up there presiding over the trial? Oh, yeah. Chief Justice Roberts checked out. Our nation turns its lonely eyes to you, too, while we try to make out what the heck you are mumbling before you serve as both judge and juror who votes. 
The second, second impeachment trial of President Trump marks the regularization of impeachment in our politics as a tool of partisan warfare. It extends the maniacal Trump hatred that gripped the Democrat media access for four years of the Trump presidency. The second trial is, in a sense, a fitting coda to the Trump presidency. It is also a sad day for the United States. As the song puts it, every way you look at this, you lose. A separate item is I can't fathom this. I understand most things having to do with political ideology. I simply don't understand this. Mona Charon's most recent column, it's titled, quote, Why I, a lifelong conservative, now call Republicans an enemy of democracy, close quote. She writes in the column of her heroes, from Norman Podhoritz to Jack Kemp to William Buckley and Milton Friedman. Then writes, Trump and the Republican Party who supported him broke with all that. They broke with her, her faith in those leaders. She concludes this way, quote, There are many areas where I continue to think conservatives have the better case. I think liberals put too much faith in the power of government to do good and pay too little attention to the tendency of government to make things worse. I think capitalism is the greatest engine of human flourishing the world has ever devised and that the two-parent family is key to a society's well-being. Why, then, do I reject the title conservative? Because we don't exist in a vacuum. In America today, the word is associated with white Christian identity movements, hostility to immigrants, a personality cult, and openness to conspiracies. Since the attempted coup of January 6th, many conservatives, along with high percentages of Republicans, have shown themselves to be enemies of the American constitutional order. In opposing Trump and working for a Biden victory, Many of us in the never-Trump camp have been happy to make alliances with progressives and others who are committed to decency and the rule of law. Where we go from here is less clear. Some will become Democrats. Others will work to reform the Republican Party. Still others will consider forming a new party. America desperately needs a sane center-right party. The matter is urgent because as things stand now, Every general election between Democrats and the current Republican Party will be a contest between democracy and its enemies, close quote. One wonders how someone can be so blind to what is in front of his or her face. Starting with the idea that the word conservative is associated with white Christian identity movements and conspiracies. It's only associated to the extent the Democrats and the MSM have tried to make that association and reify it. Good conservatives used to know that's what Democrats and the media have been trying to do to us since Barry Goldwater. And so far as January 6th, I know of no conservative who didn't announce it and of no conservative who supported it. But Mona Charon seems, as we write in our book American Greatness, a pluperfect example of conservative Stockholm Syndrome. Please don't fall for it or be taken captive by it. I'm Seth Leibson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show, portions of which are brought to you by Balance of Nature, which I take every single day to boost my immunity, energy, and health. Tens of thousands of vital nutrients in one daily dose. Three red capsules, three green capsules, one for fruit, one for veggies. And if you don't like vegetarian capsules, you can easily open them and sprinkle them in a drink or on some food like yogurt, cottage cheese, or anything. No sugar, no chemicals, no GMOs. You get over 10 servings of fruits and vegetables in one daily dose. Good stuff. Apples, blueberries, cayenne pepper, spinach, wheatgrass. Fantastic product. 
And now, of course, is not the time to lose energy, health, or immunity. They have a great deal, free shipping and 35% off any new preferred order of their fruits and veggies. Give them a call at 800-246-8751 or visit them at balanceofnature.com. Use discount code BALANCE. I'll tell you, you know, a lot of people around me have been sick. A lot. I haven't. And I don't do much different than them except balance of nature. want to welcome back Chris Llewellyn, who is producing for us pro tem today. Um, Chris is usually the vice president of all things important. You hear some of those great features during our commercials. That's partially, that's 1% of what Chris does around here. He does a lot. He is um, wonderful to have with us. And uh, I call him the incredible shrinking man, speaking of food, because he lost. Can I say it? Can I tell the audience what you did this yeah, last, sure. what you did with? I mean, people would think I'm slender man. You lost you 50 pounds. Yeah, I mean, that's a big amount. That's a big amount. It's but huge. From a percentage standpoint, unfortunately. No, no, no. You look great. Thank you. I you bet. It. You do too, Seth. What do you have to? Oh. <laughs> I mean, you're running. You're running has okay. been an inspiration. Right. No, you've done it a little bit through diet, but a lot through exercise, right? You've, you've yeah. amped up the Well, you look great. It's great oh, to have you here. It. So say hi to Chris if you call in at 602-508-0960. I love fitness stories. I just love... What you can do with a body when you when you um, when you make the effort to do it, Chris. It's because it's it's a fascinating machine and it's and it's fun, isn't it? You kind of get into it, you know, to compete with yourself. One of the most interesting too is like right before I did it, I had well, you know, what sparked it was I did, I did my blood pressure, yeah, and because I have a lot of blood pressure issues in my family, and, and I because looked, I work for you, <laughs> radio, <laughs> okay, <laughs> and because uh, you have a guy named Leafson who works for Just you. Just pointing yeah. out that this is right around September, leading up to the election, okay. So, Right. And I took my blood pressure, and I was like, that is alarming. Uh, it was like 147 over 100-something. Yeah, yeah. And to be able to do all that, I took mine the other day, and it was like 103 yeah. over 73. Yeah, you, know, you so killed to, it. So to be able to backtrack. What was your bottom was, number in the first case? Oh, the first time I did it was like 100, 103, and then it settled around like 99, yeah. and now it's um, you know it's in the low 70s. Good for you. And yeah, it's pretty cool. No, but, you're you're, you're no, doing great. Appreciate and, it. Uh, you know how much I just You're doing great, too, sir. There we go. That's all I was you're looking for. Great. How's your That's blood all I was looking My blood pressure is great. Great. Haven't taken it, it in, so good. I haven't had to take it in ten today? years. Even haven't taken it in ten years. Going on today, your blood pressure is good today. Everything is fine, <laughs> fine and dandy. I am the picture of heart health in Arizona. Um, what can I tell you? About, uh, yes, okay. So the Senate has voted that uh, the impeachment trial is constitutional. Uh, you know, Lincoln gave us this great lesson, particularly about Dred Scott. Just because the Supreme Court may pronounce something or the Senate may pronounce something, doesn't make it so. And we're going to talk to uh, former federal prosecutor Jim Trusty about this a little bit later in the hour. He's uh, you often see him on Fox News. Uh, he's been someone I've been delighted to become friends with recently. Uh, this Mona Charon column really sticks, though, because it is what undergirds the impeachment, of course, which is the January 6th speech of President Trump's and the subsequent riot. Mona Charon calls it a coup. Boy, I remember the days when Mona was just the leading conservative columnist in America, or one of them, one of them. Anyway, she writes, I mentioned this in my monologue. I think it's worth underscoring because I did the math. Since the attempted coup of January 6th, coup, it's a coup. As Dennis Prager points out, it's not even an insurrection. Was one shot fired? 
by any of the quote unquote insurrectionists? Were any? Can you have a weaponless? Can you had a? Can you have a bloodless coup in insurrection? Can you have a less than ankle sprain, an ankle sprainless coup or insurrection? I know they will tell us five people died. We'll talk about that in a moment too. Since the attempted coup of January sixth. Monachan writes, many conservatives, along with high percentages of Republicans, have shown themselves to be enemies of the American constitutional order. What the hell is she talking about? Many conservatives, along with high percentages of Republicans, have shown themselves to be enemies of the American constitutional order. Many conservatives. Name me one conservative who supported the rioting on January 6th. Can anyone? Name me one. She says many. I'm looking for one. I'm looking for one. Can anyone find me a conservative that didn't denounce it? She says many showed themselves enemies of the American constitutional order since the attempted coup. Name me one and name me one who didn't denounce it. She also says along with high percentages of Republicans. High percentages of Republicans? How many people do you think stormed the Capitol on January 6th? Let's be generous and say 400. I've seen numbers a little lower, but let's go to the highest number I've seen reported. Let's say 400 people did. Let's say there were 74 million people who voted for Donald Trump. The number's a little higher, but let's just make this easy. 400 of 74 million is five ten-thousandths of a percent. Five ten thousand. So why why didn't she write? Since the attempted coup of January six, five ten thousandths of one percent of Republicans have shown themselves to be enemies. Five ten thousandths of one percent. To her, five ten thousandths of one percent is many and high percentages. Many and high percentages. That's who we're being lectured to as to why the Republican Party is the enemy of democracy, because five ten-thousandths of a percent was involved in a misbegotten riot. That was denounced by everyone else. Denounced by everyone else. Now, about this impeachment trial arguments which opened today, two observations. One, I don't think the lawyers were very good. I just don't. There were two lawyers making presentations on behalf of Donald Trump. The first one, Castor, today. It's enough hearing how good the other argument was, the Democrats' argument. I don't know. I heard him say about five times how impressive the Democrats' argument was. I don't think it was. I don't think it is, and I don't think you should concede it. Two, I don't know why we took two minutes from the second attorney to read a poem by Wadsworth Longfellow. That's how he ended. Wasn't very good rendering of it either. I have more to say about all this. We'll do it. And, of course, our number, 602-508-0960. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. 34 past the hour brings us our culture and economy update with the great John Dombrowski from Grand Canyon Planning Associates. GrandCanyonPlanning.com is his website. His wife doesn't get tired of hearing silly love songs that he <laughs> sings. We hear him singing on the radio a little bit here, here and there. J.D., how are you, sir? Good. I, I would say you had the right uh, person there for today's uh, trivia. Oh, okay. Paul uh, McCartney? On February 9th, 1964, a band was introduced to America on the Ed Sullivan Show. 
Oh, is that right? The, yes. the opening act for Wings, was it? <laughs> the Beatles, right? <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was, uh, yeah, boy, 1964, February 9th. You like the Beatles. You sing a little Beatles. Uh, I, I'm, I'm known to sing I have heard sing you sing on this station, I have been known Can't, can't Buy Me Love Beatles. or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, all, all my loving, uh, Till There Was You, yeah. She Loves You, Yeah. I Saw Her Standing There, Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I Want to Hold Your Hand. Those yeah. were the five songs that they did on the Ed Sullivan Show. That's, that's your, and that's, and that's a medley of your greatest hits. <laughs> Also, coincidentally. <laughs> all in, all at once, yes. Yeah. All so, right, buddy. The market was yes. uneven today, right? Dow Jones yeah, and S&P down, yeah. NASDAQ up. We had a little little bit of a pullback today for the Dow and, and the S&P, but the NASDAQ, you're right, was higher today. That was just a, just a small pullback. Yeah. Uh, after six straight days of gains for all of the indexes, uh, the Dow and the S&P took a little pause. But uh, the NASDAQ, again, seven straight days of, of positive gains. So... Interestingly enough, uh, a good a good run for the markets. So I would have expected some type of a pullback sometime this week, and and maybe this was a little pause, as you said. We're told about the hardness, the harshness of not so much the winter in Arizona, but the economy. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the interesting story for me of the day is that consumers expect to spend more. Yeah. In about a year, talk to me about this. Yeah, so this was uh, an interesting uh, article that, that I did see, and this was the Federal Reserve Bank of New York that did this survey. And they surveyed Americans, and they found that m- most Americans that they surveyed expected that uh, their finance situation would be significantly better uh, in this upcoming year uh, since COVID-19. So, of course, many people suffered through that uh, 2020, but uh, consumer confidence seems to be higher, and uh, there seems to be a very... Uh, positive, even the Fed, it says in this article, the Fed officials believe that while the data for the start of the year will showcase some challenges, the U.S. economy could grow by as much as 5 to 6% this year. That's a very uh, yeah, no, that's good pace healthy. for the economy yeah, to grow, yeah. especially we're still in this pandemic. Yeah. Uh, so very interesting uh, when, I, when I read this article. So I wanted to kind of just... No, uh, growth is an important mm-hmm. thing. And of course, when Absolutely. you sink, you have more growth when you climb out of it. Um, and, and we're doing it in that sense, but all in the right direction. Yep. And there's another side to this, yep. too, is the Federal Reserve, yep. who, again, um, this was uh, another article. Um, the Cleveland president, Loretta Mester, said she sees no imminent pullback in the central bank support. And that is the same thing that we heard from Fed Chair Powell, mm-hmm. uh, is that they're going to keep the pedal to the metal. They're going to keep uh, money flowing, uh, keep interest rates low, and they want this recovery to happen. And so that is... a. Uh, uh, a green light, really, for the stock market, and that's why many feel the market is is poised for a very good year uh, upcoming. So, how important is it when people have a little bit more spending money for them? I, I know this sounds like an obvious question, but it's 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 amazing how much it isn't. When people have a little bit more spending money, perhaps a stimulus that's uh, that that is extra to them, or if they're coming out, how how important is it? for them to work on their debt and which debt should they work on first credit well, card debt yeah credit card debt that's that unsecured debt of yep. course your home is secured uh, your your mortgage is secured by your home your your car loan is secured by the car uh, so you want to take care of those higher interest whatever the higher percentage rates. is yeah you take a credit line. card 20 percent interest yeah. is not uncommon you don't want to pay 20%. My gosh, I mean, in a good year in the stock market, you'd be lucky to earn 20%, you yeah. know. Uh, but, boy, Very if you've lucky. got a three yeah. or 3% mortgage on your house, uh, why would you want to pay that off before the 20% credit card Perfect, debt? even though the numbers may be. 
bigger. Yeah, right? Exactly. Got of it. course. No, good advice. People think, yeah. well, that's the bigger debt. Mm, not really. Not and that's part time. of, yeah, that's part of a plan when right. people come in and sit down and talk with us, Seth, when we start to work on the financial plan for them and their plan for the future of income, how they're going to uh, survive in the retirement years. Uh, those are all things that we talk about the debt and the income ratios and, and where to attack the debt versus trying to continue to grow your assets. Good work. Securities and advisory services offered to Client One Securities LLC, a member of FINRA and Sipic, and investment advisor, Grand Canyon Planning Associates LLC, and Client One Securities LLC, not affiliated. Here's another song for you and the missus. Little Casey and the Sunshine Casey Band. Will All right, JD, we'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right, brother. Jim Trusty, former federal prosecutor, joining us next. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Jim Trusty is one of my favorite legal commentators, he is a former federal prosecutor. Among other things, serving as the chief of the organized crime section at the Department of U.S. Department of Justice. He's a member of the IFRA law firm. You can see his commentary on Fox News quite often. Jim, thanks for joining us again. Really appreciate you uh, taking some time. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me and for all the kind words. Oh, well, of course. Well-earned and well-deserved. So um, I see what the Senate voted on here, that they they found that the the going ahead of the uh, impeachment trial is constitutional. I didn't think it was constitutional, and I don't think the um, the charge against him, the president, the indictment inciting violence against the government of the United States uh, is accurate in that I don't see any, any element of inciting violence having been met. You tell me where I'm wrong or how you see it, sir. No, I'm, I'm totally with you. I mean, look, the, the vote today, you know, is obviously not a real surprise. I think the Democratic side of the aisle was quite disciplined at uh, sticking together on these things. And so, you know, I think it was very much right to raise it as a motion to dismiss and yeah. suggest, I think, very accurately that there's no jurisdiction. Um, but, you know, again, if nothing else, it's a litmus test for what's coming. I mean, if you're one of the 44 Republicans that said this is unconstitutional, there is no fact that should change your mind That's and have you suddenly vote for uh, disqualification. And it also creates a record over the long run you know, if this does get to a court someday, which might be improbable, but there's always that possibility. So, again, I think you're right on the substance of incitement to insurrection. Uh, we could go into that if you want. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind if you would, story. because it sounds scary, um, insurrection. You know, they, they bootstrap this up into the highest uh, crime they can think of, I suppose, short of what, sedition or, or treason. Um, but yeah, to, because I, you know, I, I used to do a little First Amendment stuff here and there, and, and I, I kind of know the incitement law. But I'd love for you to do it. You're you're still more, and more current in the practice. I just don't think anything Trump said. If Brandenburg wasn't guilty of it, I don't think Trump could be within a mile of it. Yeah, no, I'm with you, and and uh, you know maybe I should be taking the tutorial from you. No, 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 <laughs> but, no, um, no. But but let me just say this: there's there's um, case law in the Supreme Court that deals with this kind of intersection of when does speech become unprotected? Right. Because obviously the way we start off is speech is protected by the First Amendment, and it has to be narrowly construed. But what's really important for incitement to cause insurrection is, I guess, two related things. One, it's a specific intent crime. So a prosecutor, or in this case a, a representative from the House, would have to prove the president specifically intended to cause violent overthrow of the U.S. government with their words. And then the words are really the key thing, mm-hmm. not the personality. Right. So if you look at the words, they are afforded their ordinary meaning mm-hmm. under Supreme Court case law. That means you can't turn, change peaceful into violent right. because you don't like Donald Trump. Right. And so to me, on its face, all the allegations, all the slick Hollywood videos aside, when you get down to his words, they may have been inartful, they may have been slow, whatever. 
but they do not constitute a crime. And they have doubled down on this impeachment article as being incitement to insurrection. They, they've got some other issues with multiplicity, you know, having too much packed in, sure. but they are still referring to it as that particular felony and it fails on its face. We're talking to Jim Trustee, former federal prosecutor, member of the IFRA law firm. Jim, um, are you you live in the in, in the in the D.C. area, the greater D.C. area? You work in that area. Are you concerned about uh, what I perceive to be? I used to live there. I live out in Arizona now. But what seems to me like the erection of a kind of garrison state that looks like it's meant to put into the minds of Americans that all we're doing this because all Republicans put us in threat. Do you are you picking up a gloss like that? I am. Yeah, I mean, look, I think that's a fair read when you have this, you know, uh, East Berlin style yeah. capital right. now, long after the threat seems to have subsided. I right. mean, there's been some very vague bits of support where the intelligence community says, yes, we're worried about violence, mm-hmm. which is, you know, not no, normally actionable. But it really feels like this is part of the street theater, that it was important for the political actors to have this kind of garrison mentality around the Senate while we went through this process of impeaching an ex-president. The reason I ask it is because when you look at how loosely defined the Democrats have used uh, the the concept of incitement or even the crime of incitement um, or the threat of inciting violence— and you pair that with how they are talking about, you know, uh, 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 Republicans who supported Trump being guilty or part and parcel of all of this. We're all responsible for 400 mindless uh, anarchists, as far as I can tell what their brief against us is. You tie those things together, and I, I, I very much do worry about the first thing we talked about, the First Amendment here, in an effort to make conservative speech, legitimate conservative speech, illegal. That's really the conclusion I think I'm worried about most, and that I think they're working on Soto Voce uh, as best they can. Yeah, I really I can't help you uh, dismiss those okay. fears, because okay. when, you, when you look at the social media, when you look at the comments of people that are supposed to be responsible in their political positions, you know, it, it's all about cancellation and nullification, and unity seems to mean unity of thought not unity of patriotism or, or freedom. And you know, there's a lot to be concerned about there when it comes to the way big tech and government and the politicization of government recently, when you see like Jim Comey's FBI, right. all that stuff's kind of coming together in a pretty horrible confluence of events. And uh, I'm with you. I, I think we need to have somebody cross the aisle from the Democratic side and say, let's stop the demonization of people who weren't responsible for putting on buffalo hats and breaking into the Senate, but who were nonetheless fans of President Trump or conservatism in general. Speaking of the buffalo hats, are you, as a former federal prosecutor, I suppose now even in in, in the defense bar, are you concerned about the lack of facts we have about what took place there, the lack of the lack of information about the deaths that did come, the shooting uh, of the um, of the protester from one of the policemen, the death of another policeman? Does this concern you or is this fairly standard? Well, there's a a gray zone for a while after any sort of crime. And I recognize that, you know, this was a giant crime scene with a lot of investigative work that that needs to be done. And to be fair, a lot of moving parts, to be fair, a lot of moving parts. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and so I think, you know, again, how any of these individual protester cases 
turns out, will be driven by the normal criminal process. I think what it underscores when we say, you know, as we sit here today, we don't know how much pre-planning went into it, although there's more and more evidence that there was planning long before President Trump ever took to the microphone. Uh, we don't even know how Officer Sicknick died. That's that, that's I mean, what's there's, bothering there's, me. There's something about that that doesn't smell good. Well, but look, either way, it, it underscores the absolute lack of due process yeah. in a snap impeachment. You know, flip back over to the political process in this impeachment. You know, all of this information about how these protesters were motivated or not, whether they pre-planned, how people got hurt or didn't, all of those things are legitimate investigative uh, outcomes that need to be explored. And we rushed to an impeachment seven days after the event where that evidence is not being provided or shared or even understood uh, by the prosecutors or turned over to the defense. So we're so far away from the normal process of sharing information and letting the dust settle and having a reasoned approach instead of an emotional reaction. I mean, we're going to substitute Hollywood produced videos for actual testimony and evidence, it looks like. And that's just outrageous to me. Gosh, you're, you're so clear. I love having you, Jim. You were so kind. You, you practically shared with me your call sheet today, and I was glad I could, we could work in a few minutes with you. But um, no, thank me you. Too. Me too. Thank you, sir. We will call on you again. This was very helpful, and Godspeed. Have a good night, sir. All right. Thanks so much. Thank Talk you very you. much. You bet. This is the first 45 I bought. Do you know what a 45 is, Chris? Yeah, you're, you've been in radio, so you know what a 45 is. This was the first 45, Renegade by Styx. Isn't it sad to think, like, you ask me, do I know what a 45 is? And then, Your like, kids won't. Soon I'll, I'll be asking my kid, do you know what a CD is? They won't know what touch tone means. Why would they? Yeah. No, they think CDs are DVD or Blu-rays. Yeah. Like, I'm like, no, there's music on that. Yeah. Remember laser discs? VCRs? They'd have no idea. They'd have no idea. They have those great YouTube videos, if you've ever seen them, where they get, like, 12-year-old kids. So they're like, what is this thing? Is this some type of— Show them a rotary phone. Show them a rotary phone. Have you ever seen—they literally have videos where it's like, okay, I will give you $20 if you can dial our number. And they try, and they don't understand it. Isn't that funny? You grew up with dial, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It would be fun to know what other people's first 45 was or first record. People can answer that. I'd be curious to know. Ned, uh, listener, writes in, Seth, because I was saying in Mona Charon's column, she says this. She says, um, since the attempted coup of January 6th, many conservatives, along with high percentages of Republicans, have shown themselves to be enemies of the American constitutional order. Many conservatives, high percentages of Republicans. And I just did the math. 400 protesters at the most, 74 million Trump voters, get you... um, uh, uh, five ten-thousandths of a percent. To me, that's not many or high percentages. And uh, Ned writes in, you need to remember that figures don't lie, but liars can figure. The attempted takeover of the Capitol by 400 is similar to the scary figures they kept throwing at us about COVID-19. If I am figuring correctly, the virus is 99.6% survivable, not to discount the tragedy of all the deaths, this is not the scariest deal Americans have faced. And as far as the attempted insurrection, have you ever heard of a takeover attempt done by unarmed folks? I haven't. I'm still concerned that there will be further attempts to make conservatives and conservative statements and campaign ads criminalized, even more with the baloney being thrown around in the mock trial now taking place in the Senate. This is not creating anything close to the unification of this country. I agree with you, Ned, 
you're right. It is what Jim Trustee said, unification of consent thereafter, not unification of uh, love of country, not unification of the democratic process, not unification of any kind of uh, sentiment other than unification of consent. And it's enforced unification of consent, exactly what Robert Jackson warned against in West Virginia v. Barnett. Those who begin the coercive elimination of dissent soon find themselves eliminating dissenters. Enforced unification of consent maintains only the unanimity of the graveyard, he wrote. And I worry about that greatly. Open line for the next hours. Open lines for the next hour. 602-508-0960. When you call, make Chris Llewellyn feel welcome. He is our producer for the day. Bill will be back tomorrow, and I'll be back in just a few minutes.